My name is Taina Asili, and you're listening to Two Dope Teachers and a Mic. Summer Mixtape 2021. We started We started to do the mixtapes a couple of years ago um, as part of the racial and social justice in Houston, Texas. Shout out to the National Education Association for giving us this idea. And over the course of that conference, we hosted 10 conversations about people who are just bringing really radical, really beautiful, really joyful, and really encouraging ideas into education and beyond. Thus was the 2021 Summer Mixtape born. This year, uh, we are doing, we're talking about revolution this summer. We're talking about just different ways to continue to consider an abolitionist possibility for this work that we're attempting to do on the daily. So if you're not familiar with mixtapes, um, first of all, how who is not unfamiliar with mixtapes? But I've kind of realized that some people don't always understand uh, what I mean when I talk about a mixtape, what Kevin and I talk about when we talk about a mixtape. Mixtapes were inherently experimental. There are ways to get ideas and content out there before trying to actually put it in front of a studio audience and put it in front of a broader audience, I should say, um, you know, and to sort of see what the people thought about it. Uh, Mixtapes were inherently new. They were fresh. They pushed the boundaries. They pushed limits. And they circulated uh, from person to person. So during the school year, Kevin and I spent a lot of time addressing what is happening in our classrooms, in our building, in our district, in our system, as we are attempting to engage in the work of the system. So we are expected, asked different times to speak to the certain issues that are emerging during those moments and to sort of deal with those as they come. Now, summer for teachers is often a time to relax, decompress, kind of get away from the everyday rat race of what's happening in classrooms every single day and in schools every single day. Um, This isn't to say that great ideas aren't being circulated during the school year, but oftentimes you have your time at your staff meeting, your department meeting, just chatting with people at the copier, but but ultimately you have to get to class. Ultimately, you have to have a lesson in X amount of minutes, hours, even a couple of days, so the weekends are also not sufficient for doing deep and reflective work that can prove really transformative. Most teachers don't just kick it in the summer. Um, Even if we are sitting on the beach, we're often sitting on the beach reading uh, important pedagogical ideas that might inform our practice. We're attending conferences, we're connecting with other professionals. It is not, it is work, but it's not work. You know what I mean? Like I'm not going 
to the Teaching Black History Conference, um, you know, in July and worried about the next day, you know, implementing the things that I learned at that conference. I've got some soak time, some time to reflect. And, you know, <clears throat> I also want to name that I've been teaching a really long time. Kevin has been teaching for a pretty long time. We have close to 40 years of teaching between us. And so we're at a point um, finally where we don't really have to work in the summer. We don't have to worry about not getting three months income um, at this stage in our career. So uh, much sensitivity and much respect given to teachers who are early service, who do still need to work these second jobs is not an ideal thing to be dealing with. And uh, hopefully the work that we do in our professional associations through organizing will make that less and less prevalent. So Kevin and I are experimenting. Our first track of the Summer Revolution Mixtape 2021 was Desmond Williams, the author of the, uh, the Burning House, which was an analysis of educating Black boys in the United States of America. He brought wonderful ideas, not just from his book, but also from his experience as, a, as an, an in-school educator and now as an educational consultant. If you've not checked out nylinka.com, just make sure that you do that soon. We want to keep those dollars in Black and Brown communities, um, in communities of color, uh, and eventually get them to the same level of status and respect um, as some of the others who will name remain nameless, um, but you know who I'm thinking about. Track two is a little bit meta. For track two, I got together with my two dope crew with Kevin and with Asia Lyons, uh, who you all know from the exit interview. And we thought it'd be really interesting for me to interview them about their experience doing the exit interview. So if there are those of you out there who've not listened to episodes of the exit interview, I highly recommend that you do it. The exit interview is the brainchild of Asia Lyons. Um, after having done some research, particularly the reading the work of Dr. William Smith, who we actually were able to interview twice for the exit interview, um, and the impacts of racial battle fatigue on Black educators. And over the last few months since the exit interview debuted, the, um, the response has been powerful. The stories have been impactful. And there's a reckoning coming to our educational system and what it does to Black educators. Kevin and Asia and I are friends, and Kevin and Asia go back a really long way. They, their, their circles have connected in a lot of different ways, and they come at this work around the exit interview from radically different uh, standpoints. So what results is um, an engaged and wonderful set of storytelling sessions that can be very wrenching and painful to listen to, but that also are very impactful and very inspiring when you get down to it. So for this episode, for track two of the Revolution Summer Mixtape 2021, I interview Kevin Adams and Asia Lyons about their experience doing the exit interview, hearing the stories and the implication it has for themselves and for others. Um, so it's, it's super fun. I really enjoy interviewing my friends. Uh, these two are no exception. And then we have a fire top five at the end. 
Um, if you want to support the work of Two Dope Productions, we now have three podcasts under our umbrella. There's obviously Two Dope Teachers and a Mic, which you are listening to right now. There's the Exit Interview, which collects documents and shares the stories of Black educators who have been forced out of their positions. And there is also my new podcast that I'm doing as Colorado Teacher of the Year, Habitually Disruptive, where I search for folks who are disrupting the status quo in the name of justice. If you want to support the work that we're doing, um, our, our patrons have been wonderful supporting us through Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash teachers. For as little as $5 a month, you can support the important work pushing the boundaries and remixing the conversations on race, power, and education. You can also follow us on Twitter at Two Dope Teachers, Instagram at Two Dope Teachers. You can like us, facebook.com slash Two Dope Teachers. And you can send us any emails that you have as far as questions, concerns, suggestions, ideas, or just general feedback to Two Dope Teachers at gmail.com. In addition, you can find the podcasts all on the Two Dope Teachers in a Mic feed um, on Spotify, Apple and patrons um, who are supporting us through Patreon are able to access our work through ACAST, where you get sneak previews, bonus materials, and uh, extraneous conversation and silliness. So I'd like to go ahead and move to my interview with my good friends and fellow two dope creators, Asia Lyons and Kevin Adams, episode two, track two of the Revolution Summer Mixtape 2021. Enjoy. Yo, what's up, everybody? So, like, the gang's all here. Um, the Two Dope Productions gang. Asia's here, Kevin here, I'm here. It's a little bit different, as I said in the intro. First of all, this is Revolution Summer 2021 Mixtape, track two. Kevin, it's track two. Track two. Track Number two. two. This is going to be really weird for Kevin because this is still part of Two Dope Teachers and a mic. But what we are doing today is bringing you a check-in, a reflection on this project that the amazing soon-to-be Dr. Asia Lyons brought to us a few months ago called The Exit Interview. Asia, say hi to the people. How's it going, folks? Yeah. And so we're going to um, we're going to talk a little bit about the exit interview. Um, if you have not listened to the exit interview, you must listen to the exit interview. This has been one of the most impactful projects we've done um, as a part of Two Dope Productions. We are telling the stories of black teachers who have been forced out of their teaching positions, giving them space to reflect, to talk back to the people who push them out and to let us know what is happening in their lives right now. Um, the stories are real, the stories are heart-wrenching, um, but the stories are ultimately extremely motivational. Um, if you are somebody who's been an industry artist for too long, and you kind of think that maybe you want to get outside the industry and do that work. Does that sound like a good description, y'all? Yes, I think so. most definitely. Most mm -hmm. definitely. Yeah. Industry so, artist, I like that. Yeah, so that, that's what we strive for, right, is uh, not to be an industry artist, but to be an artist in the industry. But sometimes the industry is so toxic that you can't even, like, be a part of it. Um, and that's where a lot of these amazing uh, Black scholars are in their walks right now. So, well, cool. I'm, I'm excited to do this uh, because this is going to be very meta, right? 
Uh, typically, when we gather uh, to talk about the exit interview, I'm in a production sort of uh, role, and you all are speaking with Black educators who've been forced out of their jobs. So we're going to, over this uh, next period of time, we're going to talk a little bit about what this process has been for you all, what it's been like. Um, Asia, we'll have you talk a little bit about how this kind of crystallizes an idea for you. Uh, Kevin, we're going to have you sort of speak to your experiences within this as well, um, because this is really powerful and deep work, and so I think it's just going to be amazing to hear y'all stories around this. But first, if you would like to support Two Dope Productions, which includes the Exit Interview Podcast and Two Dope Teachers and a Mike, the flagship podcast of this whole thing, feel free to head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash Two Dope Teachers. If you're enjoying the content, we got some new stuff up on Instagram. Uh, follow us at Two Dope Teachers, and you can also check us out at Two Dope Teachers on Twitter. Find us on Facebook. Episode ideas, feedback, gift cards, whatever you have, uh, you can just send those directly to twodopeteachers at gmail.com. All right, well, let's let's get right into it um, and talk a little bit about this. So Asia, um, we, we had met a little while back, um, the three of us, and just sort of, you know, we've run in some similar circles. Um, talk a little bit about the idea that you had to create the exit interview and where that was kind of born? Um, yeah, so I, in 2018, I left teaching. I was teaching in Cherry Creek School District in Colorado in the Aurora area. And I was actually pushed out of teaching due to racism um, by my administrator. And when I left, I realized that I really wanted to tell the superintendent what was going on with my experience and really make sure that he understood like this is I'm not a um like a phenomena right that lots of black educators are getting pushed out and that he should at least if nothing else know one teacher's story so I emailed him several times and finally got a response and so I went to his office and we spoke for about an hour 90 90 minutes and I had everything written down so I knew what I was going to say and I basically explained to him the reason why I was leaving, the reason why so many educators that I knew, Black educators that I knew were leaving, um, and just kind of laid it all out there. And of course, you know, he gave me the, we are working towards excellence. We are working hard, you know, push play kind of <laughs> thing, right? Yeah. And the expectation wasn't that I was going to like, it was going to be a revolutionary conversation and he's going to change his ways. It was just like, right. you need to know this so that you can't say you didn't know. Yeah. And so when I walked out of there, you know, I just kept thinking like, damn, I wish more folks could tell their story. And so yeah. I went home and I just kind of spilled everything out on this like a little Google doc. And then I thought like, yeah, this would be cool for a book at first. And then as time went on and I started doing my doc program, I thought maybe it'd be better as a podcast, right? And so that's kind of how it started. Like, would it be so cool to share this Black experience in education as a podcast and we just bring folks on? And then it just happened that, I don't know, we got into the conversation one day and then there it was. So that was how yeah. it started. But as I as I recall, you were like, I have a podcast idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's how it was. To the point, to the point. You brought the idea to us. That's what was so great was, um, you know, to see that there were these stories out there and, and the work that you had done to kind of gather those stories. So Kevin, your initial response to... Um, to, to sort of, as, as we kind of went through the conversations, 
and started mapping out how this series could look. Um, your being co-host to this, what, how did you kind of react to um, to this subject, this content, and your role as like co-hosting with Asia? Well, I mean, first of all, for, for the people uh, listening, I go way back with Asia, a little ways. I was introduced uh, through a family friend who way back since high school have known and, and uh, you know, I've known Asia and her husband forever. And, and when I heard the opportunity, I've always known that Asia was a dope educator. And then when Asia started going through her experiences, you know, in 2018, I was just like, dang, that that's awful, you know? And then we connected and we started talking and, and when she mentioned the idea, I was like, I'm in, I'm in. I was like, you know, I was like, well, does she need a co-host? Does she want a co-host? You know, and she was like, well, I feel like I, I need someone there with me. And so I was honored. I was in, you know, and, and the idea of it, because I've seen this experience happen over and over for Black educators. And I think, you know, especially when Asia brought it up, I was at a point where I constantly, you know, was asking my question, how much more of this stuff can I put up with? And, and where does it all end? And, and luckily, I think in my career, I've had some different experiences, which I'll probably get into a little later. Yep. But, but still, I think it was just so important to capture these stories and experiences at this time when people are starting to, uh, quote unquote, Asia, like play the tape, like the superintendent yeah. said, you know, but I think it holds them accountable because like if the stories are there, it's a record. It's a record right. of these and you have to honor our experiences and you can't debate it. You can't say it's made up, you know? And so that's what I really love about it. And that's why I had to be involved. Yeah. Yes, I appreciate that. You know, you're in the classroom and I'm out, right? So that balance is there um, yep. so that we have those. And then we're in different, we're, I'm in, was in a different district than you. So it's like so many ways you being male, me being female, yep. Yep. like all that is definitely needed in the podcast, I feel. Yeah. yeah. What are some other ways that you all feel like you complement each other? Because those of you, who, those of you who've listened to um, Exit Interview, know that there's a real complementary sort of um, relationship and dialogue that happens between the two of you. Um, what are some of the ways that you feel like you complement each other in this work? Well, I just think Asia is like such a scholar, right? And 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 I think yeah. at times, you know, I. <laughs> I probably resist being a scholar at times, although I want to have scholarly ideas and scholarly debates. But uh, there, you know, there's some things about it that I have tension with my, yeah. you know, in my own perspective on it all. But I mm -hmm. think like um, we complement each other that way. Like I think, you know, an ability to keep it, you know, light, but also really have the gravity of it. Asia helps me remember where I'm headed. And it, you know, I think keep, keeps me going in the direction. Um, but those are those are some of the things that I think, you know, and then I think to Asia's point, it's those other kind of differences between us, the districts that we've been in, you know, our experiences, she being from Detroit, me being from Atlanta, you know, I you think got it in again. You got it in again. <laughs> hey, you got to represent. Hey, I'm sorry. No, there's I love it. Days. There's two American. There's, there's a couple American cities that I think are amazing. One of which is Atlanta and yes. one of which is Detroit. Detroit. All right. There Fair. we go. So, so, no, it's we Wait, so at some point we have to represent uh, those CCs. We need to do a thing for our patrons where like we actually quiz them on 
you know, is there an episode where Kevin did not mention being from Atlanta? <laughs> and if so, do you know which one it is? And so like that, that could be fun trivia. Um, <laughs> definitely. Hey, how about you? What do you think about the just ways in which you compliment each other? So I appreciate Kevin's experience in podcasting. And so he's really good at asking the questions I wouldn't have thought to ask or asking them in a way that I wouldn't have thought to ask them. Right. So it's like, oh man, that was really great. What, you know, or picking through, so someone's telling their story, and then he'll pick up on this small piece, this small nuance, and ask a question about that, or ask people to drill down that more, and I would have missed that, and so I really appreciate him being there, and like really listening, and just like, yeah, that sounds good, and what about this, or let's go back to this, and that's, I think that's really what's been making the podcast, and the storytelling in it really rich, is that he's able to do that so well. Yeah, and it and it is great to sort of see be, because the that complementary relationship really is there. Um, so when when we first started working on this, um, did you have hesitations, either of you? Did you have any kind of hesitations or or just kind of concern? Not hesitations, but concerns about going forward with the work. Um, if this wasn't going to work out, how would it not work out, et cetera? Is that coming from my side? <laughs> so I that's think so. me. I have a flyover okay. happening on my. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, that's I live near the Air Force Base. So I'm like, how much is my there microphone picking up? So you oh, might... that's okay. This, this is real podcasting. This is real podcasting. Yeah, there so. We go. so for me, I had no hesitation. Um, I think I've, I've been in a place since 2018 of healing. And so really it wasn't like a fear of like, oh, maybe I want to go back to the district or what if someone tries to come back and do something to me? Like yeah. I had been over that bridge. I had been talked to the therapist about all of that. And so it was like, I knew, like I said, the day that I did that exit interview, this was going to happen. For me, it was just win. So there was yeah. no fear on my end for me. What I was right wondering about though was like how many people were going to be willing to share their story yeah right um and if we will probably talk about this later but as we've gone through most folks are really are ready they've yeah. they've kind of just chewed on it they've talked about it enough and really sat with it and they're okay with it where some folks are like well i'm not ready yet right so yeah. i think if anything else like i was like let's go let's get this out here let's get our voices out here yeah yeah yeah, and 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 thinking back, you know, just given my experience with the other pod, with our other podcast, Pseudo Teachers and Mike, it's it was just um, you know an extension, and and we have you know talked about it, but I think one of the most positive things that told me we were on the right track, and again, I think it's the blessing of the leadership and in my building was after the first episode came out, and our 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 school leader was like, oh, you've got to listen to this podcast, right? In front of the whole staff, you know, it was yeah. like, it's really good. It, it, she was like, it really gave me some insight and made me ask some deep questions about my own practices as a principal and things that I've done in the past, yeah. you know? And so I think that that's good. And then I think also, I think the, the key that would have really, like you asked, what would have sank the podcast is if people weren't willing to share their stories. And I think- right you know, to Asia's point, people have been overall really willing to come in. And, you know, I think it's always interesting because they're nervous, right? Because as Asia points out, this is traumatic for people to go back. 
and and we've had people you know who just reliving the stories get emotional you know they can feel those physical ailments that they they experience coming back mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. the anxiety about it that we that we've all experienced right and um so I think like that was key is having the people willing to share their stories and open up. And I think the most positive thing is I feel like we go through those, like the podcast is kind of like uh, sailing a ship on a sea, right? Where there's like moments where it's like really bright, right? And it's good because we're living, why'd you become a teacher, right? It's always a beautiful story of, you know, a desire, a calling. And then like we get into those bumpy waters, right? And Mm -hmm. I think that's how our careers are. Right. And 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 you're like, well, these people did not let their boats sink. Right. They yeah. luckily yeah. they got off yeah. got on another boat and sailed back into really beautiful, clear ocean waters, found a nice desert island or de- a deserted island. Desert, <laughs> desert you don't want to be in a desert island. Desert, it was island. desert island. But yeah, I mean, that works. <laughs> they both kind of work. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> But, but you know what I mean? But that's what I, I feel like. That's how the conversations feel to me when we're having. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so true. So um, as we've sort of, you know, seen the, and, and there's a few interviews in the canister that folks haven't uh, heard yet. And so we're really excited for what that's going to look like. Um, what are some trends and some kind of, similarities between all of the stories that you've seen emerge um, that people should know about and that they should be aware of in the world of teaching, which is overwhelmingly white and white female. Um, what are some of those trends that, that so as, as researchers, right, Asia, you, you are always looking at what are the things that seem to be constant, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. what are some trends that you both have seen, um, either that you predicted that you knew would probably emerge as trends or things that were surprising trends to you as, as you've both gone through uh, this, these, uh, this story gathering process? Um, for me, it's- the hard questions. Yeah, the trend I I think, and I knew it was going to happen, was like the the psychological and physiological effects, mm-hmm. the panic attacks, yeah. the depression, um, just like all of the like mania, right? Because we talk and we talk about this a lot on the podcast, racial battle fatigue. But racial battle fatigue is what we're seeing. We're seeing people talk about headaches and and just like just crying and all these like the thing that in their car, just not when they go into work, um, mm-hmm. doubting themselves, gaslighting, like all those things that are happening, people being hospitalized for like anxiety and things and depression. So like, those are the patterns that I saw the most. Um, and I'm, we're still seeing, right, Kev? So yep. yeah, I almost ex- expect every single time for people to say like, yeah, I have this physical feeling or this thing was running through my head because that's just what's happening it's not just they're leaving their racism is happening they get you know they're angry and walk out it's like all these things are happening to their bodies as they're going through whatever they're going through for however long it takes before they decide to leave or are fired or whatever so that's the biggest trend for me yeah yeah I mean that one that's the one you know and it if it's 
it's not surprising, right? Like Asia said, but it's also very disturbing, right? We, we realize the impact mm-hmm. that this stuff is having. And we know the impacts on stress, of stress on black people in general, right? Um, are the reasons, you know, impacting heart disease, diabetes, all of our health conditions that are chronic in our community. But, yeah. uh, you know, I think the other trend is just this idea that, that black teachers, no, they can't win. Like they, a lot of the mm. teachers, they couldn't win. They, they're stuck mm. in a hard place. So, so, you know, you, you pull back and just do what you need to do to make your classroom successful, right? Focusing on the practice. Mm-hmm. They get upset about that. Why aren't you handling this? You get shoulder tap to handle this. Watch these yeah. kids do this, you know? Or if you stand up and you start to get involved and engage, right. you get targeted there. Right. So it's like almost it's, it goes back. And I always go to this quest. Love always talks about that. You can only in the black community, you can only be a one or five. You yeah. can never be a three. Right. And, and like you could never. And, and, and what I see is this difference of experience to the other trend. Is it's just different for black teachers. I think a lot of the motivation for the work comes from a deeper place. It's it's either, you know, I wanted to give back to my community. I wanted to be the teacher. It was a calling. It's something I had wanted to do. You know, I had a family member. My aunt was a teacher. My mom was a teacher. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, there's something deeper. And then the worst part about it is every time someone has crushed these like deep desires to teach and engage people in the public school system. Right. And so like, I think it goes back to if the goal is to make sure that we have black educators in the classroom who look like the students, we have to delve into these issues. And they're hard because people have to own them. And it goes back to people are like, I'm a good person, right? I'm I'm not racist. I'm a good person. I'm nice. Yeah. I say hi to racism Kevin. as a personal quality as opposed to racism as a structure and a system. Right. That's right. right. Yeah. 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 You I know, think- one th- Oh, Go I ahead, think Asia. too, one thing I was, another pattern I'm just thinking about is like the, we haven't heard, Kev, is like this, like teachers, except for maybe one person, teachers in the school supporting the Black educator, right? So yeah. we ask about community, we ask about people supporting, we, we've done so many episodes, 10 now, and I think only one person, Donna, yeah. talked about her the people like planning with her so that she could they could That's basically right. use their voice to project what she was saying but yeah, it was yeah. so many times that it was just straight silence yeah right like they just never mentioned people looking out for them reaching back out to them after they've left teaching yeah, yeah. nothing yeah, yeah, like yeah, that yep yeah, yeah. we have yeah. not Which heard is that. very telling that yeah. would be really interesting to kind of delve into um yeah. and to reconnect with some of the folks it's like you know what what are some are, are you in contact with anybody from that community? And it makes me think of something really interesting. Um, so like the, the organization Facing History and Ourselves talks about uh, people who disrupt oppression and they refer to them as rescuers and resistors, right? So, you know, in Donna's case where they, they found a workaround to get her ideas respected, is kind of a, a rescue, right? It's not systemic. It doesn't fix anything beyond that moment, but it allows for a certain thing to happen. So I think that'd be really interesting. The, you know, and the other thing too, and in an interview that you all will hear in the coming weeks, 
um, that we just did last week, you know, I, I shared that from, from the first interview with the first interview with uh, Satara, who was, who was our first interview, uh, your first interview, I should say. Um, the thing that was really striking to me is how many of these teachers, uh, there's actually a couple of things. So how many of these teachers, when they entered the profession, they were, they were so celebrated and so respected by the people that hired them and the people who, you know, who, who were there in leadership positions. And then like something went wrong and it all went awry, just, just like that. The, the, uh, it went off the rails really quickly. And, you know, the perspective I've been able to have is I've had the great blessing to have built some relationships with, um, with black teachers of the year from other States and the thing that's so striking to me is like, you know, it's amazing because to, to your point, Kev, where you talk about Questlove's one or five kind of thing, that that one, either a one or a five only exists in the, in the, in the context of white supremacy, right? Mm. Because a teacher mm-hmm. who is being run out and who's being viewed as a one is actually just as passionate and just as intelligent and just as effective as Rodney Robinson, 2019 National Teacher of the Year. And so it's one of those things where it's like, do you know how many great teachers you have just ran away, ran effectively, ran out, transformers, people who were transformed students' lives. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's the thing that's really been striking to me. And then the other thing that's kind of striking to me as you, as you both talk is how many of these black teachers actually began their careers through alternative uh, licensure. And that says even more to me, like you have to really want to teach to go through an alternative program. I went through an alternative program and you're doing your coursework as you are a first year teacher and it is on the job training. It is flying the plane while it's still being built. Um, It's, it's building the ship as it sets sail, (laughs) like whatever metaphors you want to throw out there. Mm -hmm. And so to me, those folks, black educators who came into the work through alternative licensures, that's even more of a commitment that they've made because they have made the commitment. They've been working at other things and they've said, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to push all this stuff aside for the headache of teaching, knowing what awaits me there, because this is how much I care. Right. Right. One more thing is we always ask this conversation or ask this question about the union and the union involvement. Right. (laughs) And it's been the answer, the response has been so variant. Or we've had folks say that they they felt the union was super supportive, and other folks saying there'd be no way I contacted the union because the union works with the school district. Yep. Right. Yeah, exactly. um, and obviously, like we, we said, we've been interviewing people across the country, and so it's not just here in Colorado or not just a specific district in That's the state right. of Colorado. But yeah, like the union and how people are showing up and believing the stories of these folks, right? And in the end, as you can see, they still left teaching. Or they were still pushed out of teaching. And so having that conversation with our union folks to say, like, what is going on? Right? What is happening? This is an exit interview for our unions, too. Let's just be honest. Yeah, no. I mean, I think that's a really important point, Asia. And and I've been doing some work with the union bargaining team around uh, specifically representing the needs of Black educators uh, in negotiations and bargaining. 
And one of the big things that we are talking about is the need to really uh, take steps to create a contract that's going to really help to retain and recruit black teachers, right? Because that, that I mean, it, the, the union is part of this problem too, right? And it's how people feel represented in the union, able to participate, who are the voices at the table when we are negotiating and what are the issues that are coming up, you know, because this issue of the attack on black teachers has been going on. And I think this year is the first time it's really starting to be addressed um, more at our union level or beginning to be addressed. Yeah. And yeah. And I think that's important and would love to hear you all sort of talk a little bit about how the stories that you've heard, um, they actually implicate everybody. This isn't a traditional um, teachers versus school leaders. Um, When it comes to the attack on black teachers and when it comes to the reality that black teachers are um, aggressively discouraged from continuing as educators, um, that implicates all of us. And we'll talk about it after this break. Perhaps you are enjoying this remix conversation about power, culture, and education. And if that's the case, please consider joining others like you, educators, community leaders, activists, scholars, artists, and youth by supporting the Two Dope Teachers and Mike podcast and productions on Patreon. For as little as $5 a month, you can get on-air shout-outs, sneak previews, and early released episodes, insider information on the happenings in Two Dope Nations, and many other small benefits. Because of people like you, we have expanded to two podcasts with the exit interview taking flight and forcing hard conversations about attacks on black educators. And we've added new features, including episode transcripts and a revamped website, all because of listeners like you. But that's just the beginning. Your support will open up new possibilities for us and for the communities we represent and advocate for. And at the $15 per month level, you receive a sticker. Yes, folks, a sticker. To support the podcast, head over to patreon.com slash two dope teachers. That's patreon.com slash two dope teachers. What's up, everybody? We are back. Um, I am Gerardo Munoz. Uh, he is Kevin Adams, my co-host on Two Dope Teachers and a Mic, and she is Asia Lyons, uh, the uh, co-host of the Exit Interview. Words are hard. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you are on Revolution Summer Mixtape 2021, Track 2, The Exit Interview. So uh, we went to the break and we were sort of talking a little bit about the big picture of what Black educators face as they attempt to navigate this entire system. Um, I want to take us into um, just a segment where we talk a little bit about memorable moments that you all have had as co-hosts of 
uh, the exit interview, some things that have been said, some guests that we've been able to um, to get on the show to tell their stories. What are those things that have been just really memorable for you in the last few months that we've been doing this work? Uh, I'm gonna, I got a couple, but I'm going to just start with like <laughs> this one where we had a guest, Donna, who talked about she um, had a good friend who basically was what you would consider a prophet in the Christian church, I guess. And she told her one day, you know, after she experienced all this um, from this teacher, these teachers messing with her and lying on her, she said, you know, like people who are messing with you are going to be, they're going to get sick or they're going to die. Right. And so this was, uh, this was exit interview episode three with Donna Drury. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Uh, now Dr. Donna Drury. So Dr. Donna Drury, congratulations. Put a doctor on her name. Celebrate. (laughs) Yeah. So she said she told her that. She said she believed her because some other things that she had said in the past had come true. And she said, you know, I guess within the week or two, one woman who had accused her of something that wasn't true, she got really sick, got ended up having cancer, and another woman died at her home. And so when she told us that was so wild. And we when were she like, told us my like our mouths were open because I'm like, oh my gosh, right? So that was one. And then yeah. Kay, you can share I have another one, but yeah, that was like the one that stuck out to me first. That was definitely, definitely a great moment. Like it was like it was just like one of these stories and conversations that you get into when you start to uh talking. In particular, I feel like with older black women teachers, right? It's mm-hmm. it's these great conversations that just ground you in our community, our culture. So I love that one. Um, Dr. Darlene Sampson was was just so so great, you know. Yeah. And I think just like that whole interview with her, and and for me, probably the greatest moment was remembering back to like having PD with her and being like, that was the best PD that I've ever had, you know, and just so many ideas, because I think when it comes to uh, trauma informed practices, she is like the real deal. And uh, so, so I I just really dug that interview. And what was really fascinating about um, Dr. Sampson's interview, and this was episode six with Dr. Darlene Sampson, it's called, You Can Stand on My Shoulders, you really should check it out in the feed. Um, But one of the things that was really interesting to me is that Dr. Sampson had been around DPS for a really long time. And I remember a time when every single school leader was afraid of when Dr. Sampson came into the building because they knew you done messed up now. Because mm. now Dr. Sampson has to come in there herself and make you address the things that were going on. And what that and what I thought was so striking about that interview was that the system is so relentless that even Dr. Sampson had a last straw. Yeah. Who went yeah. in knowing that this was the work and knowing that this was the fight. And even so was like, no. Nope. I am no longer going to expend my energy in this space. That was really incredible to me. Yeah, yeah. You you have to make a decision, right? You have to make a decision um, about like, you know, your life, like your life path. Um, yeah. one, another one I'm thinking about is Annalise Harris. Yes. How she talked about like, and I think this was her, like people accusing her of sleeping with like- Yes. The, oh, yes. The yes. building engineer. And like yes. the, the administrator making light yes. of it, um, yeah. that was another. Where it's like this is someone's telling you, so, 
like these rumors are going around and it just like there's no care right yeah. there's no care the students are aware of this rumor and she's having to dispel it and she's knowing that her own i think her own paraprofessional her classroom yes is yeah. that correct yes it was yeah. like helping to spread this rumor and she was just basically laughed at um and so that was a big one for me too it's like yeah it, it's not there's all these pieces, right? And it's not just someone's getting called the N-word or things like that. It's all these little and big things that just add up that seem to the rest of us maybe ridiculous, yeah. right? Yes, mm -hmm. yes. So a while back, um, so we're on a we're on a group text, um, and, and we we sort of communicate the various um, folks and interviews and opportunities, all that kind of stuff. Um, how did it feel, y'all, when you all got Dr. William Smith to come on the show? I was hype as shit. <laughs> okay, and, and a big reason why is because um, because in my doctoral research it focuses on racial battle fatigue of black educators, right? Yep. And their families. And he is the person who coined that term. Yes. So this is looking at someone whose work I've read for my dissertation. And to yeah. know, like to see like, okay, he's not, he's super friendly, was willing to come on the show, very informative, like, and wanted to come on two times. I was just so shocked. And I text. Yep. Everyone I knew that had anything that knew his work, shout out to Dr. Floyd Cobb at uh, DU, yes. uh, Dr. Jefferson. I just, you know, just those things to say like, this is how, like, yes, I want people to know from the horse's mouth. So I yep. was beyond excited. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was a dope one, you know, and, and um, when you land guests like that, it, it really does help pull it together. And I think for more people to hear that idea of racial battle fatigue, the first time you mentioned it, Asia, I was like, and then that whole interview, going back to moments that stand out, you know, you're just like, oh my gosh, it's just confirming so much of what we've experienced. And, and again, relieving me that I'm not, uh, I, you know, helping me contradict the gaslighting that we constantly yeah. go through, right? And mm -hmm. that that self-doubt. And and like Gerardo, we've talked about in the beginning of Two Dope Teachers and a Mic, is that like you feel like there's something wrong with you, like that there, there's yeah. that you are the problem. And I think that's the best thing about this. Uh the exit interview is that it 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 confirms that if you've listened to the first three episodes, yeah. you realize you're like, okay, it's not me. It's yes. not me. It's this system. And if, and, and if the experience is so common, coast to coast, right? North to South, East to West, the experience yeah. is so common. Then we have to ask a deeper question about the system that creates this experience. And I think it goes back to, you know, Dr. William Smith's point is that, you know, it wasn't made for us. So like, yeah. don't, it's doing exactly what it was supposed to do. Period. Yeah. Period. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, that listening to Dr. Smith speak was was just like um, you have this sage, right, uh, with all this wisdom who's just dropping all this wisdom and you're just absorbing it. And uh, and I, I felt bad for y'all because y'all had to actually engage in the interview like I, I could just sit back and like listen to it without like worrying about whether I was going to keep the conversation going. And uh, 
And that, that was pretty incredible. Um, really like for me and, you know, I, I am, I'm not black. Um, I don't know if people know this, uh, but I'm not. Um, <laughs> thought, thought I might need to put that out there. Um, but I had a lot of learning to do here too, because I think that, um, you know, when you work within the system, um, you internalize the values of that system, um, both in obvious ways and ways that are subtle. And for me, going all the way back to episode one with Satara, um, just kind of hearing her story and about how she was considered to be this rising star in her district and who everybody wanted her to teach at their school, like she was the real deal, all that kind of stuff. It really, he, and, then, and then watching how dramatically she was taken down, I was going to say that she fell, but she didn't fall. She was taken down. Mm-hmm. And um, what that caused me to really interrogate was my own implicit assumptions about, um, about, the workplace is a meritocracy, right? That mm. if you're good, you can you can transcend all of this stuff. If you're good at what you're doing, and if you're having problems implicitly, maybe you're not really that good, right? Mm-hmm. And these are things that I've always kind of struggled with because I think that while I am now known as a pretty outspoken teacher, I think that I got away with a lot of things because of, because of my proximity to whiteness. And that's a whole other conversation. And so what it sort of showed me is that you, both things can be true. You can be really good and you can be torn down. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think Satara's story really, really taught me an important lesson as far as that went, just to really consciously be aware that just because our schools can be bubbles within the educational world or within wor- the world in general. Doesn't mean that they're above the structures that 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 put a stranglehold um, on black educators. That was yeah. important for me. Yeah, and I think that this, I think that the the idea of education being a bubble is what we have to fight against because right. within that bubble we. Ex- expect that there is no white supremacy that everyone has this fair chance and blah 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 and that's why I think it's so hard for it to get through the brains of educators like that you are racist because we know it's like no but I help children and I do this and I do that because of the world is saying that they're such like educators are such great people that it's a they're different breed or we are a different breed of folks and we are not and so like spending all the time dispelling that myth of being in a bubble like oh no obviously education is tied to housing obviously education is tied to healthcare. obviously That's education right. right all these That's things right. but people i don't know if they want to take the time to see it that way and see like that educators are just like everyone else we're humans Period. we're human Period. beings Period. Um, yeah yeah definitely kev any thoughts on that i mean just like i i agree kev with always like he always looks so pensive he's like with mm. with with what both of you are saying, you know, and I would just add that 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 it, it it's like everything, and I think this is the big thing right now, and I think maybe this is a shift in the way people are approaching anti-racism uh, racism work, is that we are looking at the system, right? And so, like to Asia's point, like we have to look at housing. How does all of this stuff play out? How do the policies impact, you know, how educators are treated, you know, and predominantly in my district, there's one area or two areas of our district where black and brown educators face the most attack. 
And those are the heaviest places where they educate predominantly black and brown students. And it's mm. the places in the district where there are mostly black and brown teachers, right? Mm. And, and people want to say, well, the problem is it's a building to building problem, right? It's a building leader problem. It's not necessarily a system problem, but you've created a system that allows these building leaders to be able to run the building the way they want, right? right. But I think this goes back to this bigger need of, of what we really need to impact this system, right? Because, because like we pointed out, and I think Asia, you said it, it's not just like, somebody calling you the n-word right it's 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 not people being mean to you it's it's all of this little stuff it's like death by a thousand cuts right because it's every little thing that's Mm -hmm. going on and so it's at first you feel good because they're coming to you and listening to you about black students or at least they're asking your opinion right and then you see they're not acting on it and then you see the same stuff is happening and then they call you out for your lesson plan or because you're too loud right or because your kids are too rambunctious because you have the audacity to allow for black joy in a classroom and allow black Mm. kids to stand up and move around throughout Mm. the classroom right Mm -hmm. and so you're considered not professional because you listen to hip-hop in your classroom or you might get a little passionate when you start talking about certain stuff in the staff meeting and so I think it it takes so much right and it takes the internal work I think for educators on a team to understand their own role in it how are you breaking down black educators who you work with right and sometimes in ways that you don't think about it or that you ignore right but it also means honoring the experience of black educators and not saying, oh, you're just overreacting. It's really right. not like that. Right. You right. know, right. that that's the gaslighting that we always talk about. Right. And so I just think that it really is like bursting the bubble or just the understanding that the school is no different than any of these other institutions that oppress black and brown people on the daily. Why Period. else would they be putting SROs in the schools? Period, yes. Yeah, or, or, or taking them out, right? Because, you know, one of the things, and I remember when YASPA um, did its own sort of research where, and, and I was at a student voice and leadership meeting yesterday, and this kind of came up where YASPA had been investigating the presence of SROs at the beginning, at the beginning of their process, they were like, we need to get them out. And then they sort of researched how uh, students were reacting to SROs and that kind of thing. And they came to the end and they said, well, in some cases, in some schools, your SRO might be the only professional black adult that you come into contact with, that some of them were actually really strong mentors. And it was just a really interesting space to sit in because again, um, the the reality of anti-blackness disrupts any hot takes that we have about who different groups are and where oppression exists. It, ex- it exists everywhere, right? And I think that's been a really uh, interesting sort of takeaway from this. Um, speaking of takeaways, um, this uh, last piece that I kind of want to have you all speak then and then I've got kind of a kind of a fun thing to close this off with. Um, so how has doing the exit interview impacted you just in general, uh, both of you, the last few months that we've been doing this? Um, what's been the impact on you? And what do you think the implications are of this work 
going forward in in a broader context? I could say like, uh, you know, I think the exit interview has inspired me. It's made me ask a lot of questions about my own practice as an educator, right? And so I think part of the question that I always have when I listen to every interview is like, have I had this experience? What have I been willing to stand up for? When do I stand up? When do I use my voice? Why haven't people pushed back on me? Going back, Gerardo, to your point about proximity to whiteness, you know, what is it that has caused me to be able to survive for 15 years yeah. is one of the things that I think about. Um, and then it, it also inspires me though to say, you know, there's a lot more options out there. There's mm -hmm. a lot that you can do, um, but it inspires me to do the work uh, to lay the foundation for younger black teachers, right? And to say, what can I do as a person who is at 15 years in this, you know, with the trajectory of trying to get through it and retire. Um, but, but how do we make sure, because I think it's critical that we have black educators. It is critical and it, it's hard job and it, it, it displaces you and it's stressful and it leads to all of these negative physical manifestations, right? So what do we need to do to alleviate that? You know, but it also makes me think about my own practices in life, right? And, and how, because I, I think that's part of how I've made it 15 years is being willing to separate, right? Mm -hmm. And being able to find myself not, and I think teachers of all races do this too much to find themselves as teachers, yeah, right? right? And, and mm -hmm. my whole identity is I'm a teacher. You know, mm -hmm. pump that. Like yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I might be a teacher, <laughs> but I'm a lot more like uh, that's right. there's that's, that's like right. a job that I do is a yeah. gig that I get paid for. Right. That I care about that. I've got. And Dr. Smith text. talked about that. Right. Dr. Smith talked about that. The community work is the real work. Yeah. The stuff that we call a side hustle, that that's actually the work and this day job that we have so that we can pay our bills. That's a side hustle, right? <laughs> that's kind yeah. of what and, and it's understanding, you know, this idea of, of, of just how do you find a way, but also, like I said, how do we dis disrupt these patterns and the systematic racism? Yeah. Because like it's, the demographics are going where the demographics are, right? Mm -hmm. The schools are going to look the way they like are. Like as far as student demographics. Yes, go, right? as far yeah. as student. And so, it, you know, I just think that we have to get more Black educators in particular, I think Black males in there, but it seems like Black females have the most, based on our experience, you talk about another trend. I think Black females overall tend to bear more of a burden. I think Black males somehow find a way and it, it might be that male privilege, right? That, that you know, you could go back to Frederick Douglass, right? And so Jonah Truth, right? And, but but that, that the black man tends to, you know, this idea that black man and the white women tend to have a lot in common, right? And so they will mm -hmm. jive with each other a lot mm -hmm. because they're both angry at the white man, right? Mm -hmm. To mm -hmm. advocate. You know, we, we know all the terms that come out and yep. the way yeah. that they talk about black women who voice their opinion. And we've heard it over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there's a lot to that. Um, and yeah, that, that is an interesting trend because I, I do think that, um, 
You know, it makes me think of the Cheyenne saying that a society is not destroyed until the hearts of the women are on the ground. And so there, there seems mm. to be, yeah. I mean, if you look at any, any society that faced genocide, um, that society, that genocide would, was not considered complete until the the hearts and the wills and the bodies of the women were broken and so it kind of makes you think about this in the, in another way a little bit Asia, you're going to say something right yeah so for me i'm i think in some ways i'm the opposite of kevin i consider i would like to be like the moses of my people like come on black <laughs> teachers like come, let's go pack yeah. up your stuff grab your mm, things get yeah. your snack drawer cleared out the titanic right? is not going to stop sinking like, the titanic is going to yeah. keep sinking like it's not going to pop up yeah <laughs> yeah it's like come over on this side there's freedom over here we do come out on the other side and we do we are happier we make more money we are respected where we are we find things that bring us joy it's, with teaching too some folks are still teaching but there's like so many different things that we can do, which is why we always ask that question, like, what are you doing now? Because from that's selfishly for me to say to people out there, for Black educators out there, like, listen, you can't, your side hustle, your nonprofit, your fill in the blank can be the thing that's your bridge, right? You don't have to stay in teaching. Um, so that's kind of like, that's why I keep doing it in a selfish way, like, no, if a district's gonna treat you like crap, they don't deserve you, yeah. right? And we can do this work on the outside, whatever that looks like. We can support our black and brown children on the outside, whatever that looks like. At right now, Zoe, my daughter, shout out to the intern. She's, yeah. at, she's <laughs> at like Camp Curly yep. with Annalise Harris, right? Yep. And she was one of our, like I said, she's one of our guests and she's at the camp and the kids are loving it. They're all doing hair care things. and. Right. And we need that's a perfect example of like we need people like her in the community to support our children in the way they could not in schools. Yeah. Right. So you rarely would hear me tell people and I've had folks like randomly DMing me or emailing me like, what should I do? And I'm like, You're like quit your job. Quit, quit your, your job. job. Quit your job. <laughs> like like this. And it may not be like instantly, but like get that exit plan and figure out what you're going to do. If that's going to be open up a tutoring business, that's a nonprofit, that's consulting like I do. Like you, you, you are more than just like Kev said, you are more than just a teacher, yeah. right? I don't want folks to get stuck in this. Like all my resume says is teacher. No, no, that's yeah. what they want us to believe. Right. And so for me, they want us to think we can't like, do anything else. Exactly. It's like, a, yeah. it's a fear tactic, right? Yeah. Like, what about yeah. the kids? And what about the, and obviously we can serve our children, our black and brown babies in way different ways than just in the classroom. So again, right. like me, I'm like Moses. I'm like coming, trying to get, don't talk to me unless you want to hear, get out. Yeah. <laughs> like the end, period, period. I mean, I think that that's so powerful though, because I think that if we're, if we're adopting an abolitionist perspective, the abolitionist perspective is that no, actually, reform isn't enough. That reforming the existing system is not enough. That that we have to be able to watch a system get dismantled in order to actually create something for uh, for children that that will um, empower them and develop them into strong adults. And 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 I think that's one of the interesting things. Um, and first of all, Asia only. It's totally on brand for you to say that uplifting people is selfish. 
<laughs> you know, because I think that, you know, you, you know, and I've seen these stories come out and, um, you know, as these stories have been told, that's even taught me it's it's like that jay-z lyric i'm not a businessman i'm a business man, man. <laughs> you know yeah. and so where where is it that we can have some autonomy and freedom um but i also think that what kevin's saying is absolutely correct that if we are going to pretend to have a public school system the system is not great right but if we continue to run black educators out of schools we're going to see how bad it can get <laughs> you know, yeah. we will see how bad this system can get that is supposed to serve everybody. And last thing I want to say, too, is, um, you know, the the uh, BLM 5280 Freedom School, um, you know, Brant Lockett, shout out, um, shout out to Moonshot Ventures, which has created mm -hmm. so many opportunity opportunities for um, for black innovators to, and innovators of color more generally to engage in important work that can't be done within traditional systems. Um, my friend Tere Esquivel, who runs Ednium, um, that, that dude inspires me like daily. And, uh, and I think for, for us, for those of us who are in the classroom can still, in the very least, it's important for us to actually never undervalue what we do. And mm -hmm. to like look at this and walk into the building saying, oh, I have to be here. I choose to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if you don't do right by me, then I know that I have options. And I think that's a really powerful thing that's come out of the exit interview for me. And I think for Kevin, too. Oh, I froze. You there froze. We go. Yeah. They were, oh, I'm back. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, that's my mantra. Ain't nobody can do what I do. You That's can't right. do it like me. That's and right. if you want to come in, and I'll tell anybody that, you come in, and, and I've said it in meetings. You yeah. want to do what I do? Come you have said it in I meetings. Do. You have said and it in for meetings. For real. <laughs> you know, because, like, everybody, I'm nice Everybody with laughing it. like you're not talking to Like, them. I'm <laughs> nice with it. I'm like, you, you want to, don't get it twisted. You know? He's nice like, with it. Like, I'm, I'm nice with that thing. So, that, you know, and that's what, I, that's what I think we all have to remember. Right. Is, is that we 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 got something to offer. We got something to say, like Andre said at the at the uh, at the um, the the source awards. The first time they went up to New York and they got booed. We here we got something to say. Right. And that's yep, what I think yep. the exit interview is, is that yep. we got something to say. Black educators got something to say as they leave the classroom about this system and they're going to have their say. And so. That's, That's it. right. Yeah. And, you know, Asia, at the beginning of the episode, you talked about how you weren't sure if this should be a book or a podcast. I don't see why it can't be both. And I think that, you know, the stories here are really powerful and um, and the research background and, and the theoretical background you're bringing to this has also been really powerful. Y'all are the both. You're, you're the perfect sort of complimentary because both of you are like and, and Kevin you to make no mistake bro you're an intellectual like you are an intellectual and so what you both bring is both that that intellectual high level way of thinking about this stuff as well as practical knowledge because y'all were y'all were fire teachers as well <laughs> you know mm -hmm. and so that that combination of pedagogy and praxis is something that's just so rare like people are either usually just good um you know sort of philosophical folks or just good practitioners 
and y'all are both. And I think that's what makes this work so special. So stay tuned, y'all. There will be more. Um, we have to end in the most two dope way possible. Top five rappers. Top five rappers. Yep, I'm throwing it at you. See, you top, never get to answer the question. You always top have five to rappers. react to others. You're I don't throw it at you. Top five rappers. I'm asking you. Okay. Okay. Asia, do you want to go first? This is what Kevin oh, does. No, I feel like I answered this question before and now I'm stuck at like, should I repeat myself? And now All I don't right. know what I say it. Do, we can close it a different way if y'all want. No, I mean, I, we can top five rappers. I mean, we can get into this, you know, because like, I feel like it, in my opinion, it's like always evolving. Like yeah. there is like my go-tos, right? There are yep. people that like I will go to that, that, that consistently uplift me, um, you know, and I guess I'd have to start like probably, and this is not going to be ranked, but, but I'm going to put some, put some, like, you'll see, there's people that I think in this list. Now you usually be... say the rules. So do you want me to say the rules? It does not I mean, have to I, be hierarchical. I... You can, the Eric Hale uh, rule of numbers and counting is in play. <laughs> um, it doesn't have to be set in stone. Okay. Did I get them all right? You, I, you've got most of them. You've got okay. most of them, right? It's a free for all. That's the main That's right. thing. It's a free for all. That's what it is. But I think, you know, like, like I, this man is like one of my favorite. I just love listening to his words over and over, rewinding his verses, quoting them to people. You know, really Talib, Talib Kweli. Yeah. Revolutionary MC. Like, I, I the just MCEO. I've seen him several times live. He brings an energy that like you can't explain on stage. Um, he's yeah. an intellectual, you know, only rapper out there who, who owns a bookstore. Yeah. Shout out to Akuru Books. But yep, only rapper out right. there, him and most, you know, running a bookstore. So, like, I got to have Quali on my list. Like The MCEO, like you know, he likes to call himself, yes, which I think MCEO, is a phrase. That's a yes. phrase right after right after Asia's heart right there. You the know. MCEO. But, but, so, like, that's one. That. I'd have to say another, like, one of my all-time favorites is going to be, like, Dead Prez. Dead Prez, yes. you know, if, if people listen to podcasts, people who know me, I, I just why consume. haven't you learned anything? I love Dead Prez, you know, <laughs> like, and and I'm sorry, the song Overstand, the the yeah. knowledge that they, they drop in that song, it just it gives me goosebumps every time oh, I listen word. to mm-hmm. it. You know, everything on Information Age, like it, you know, like any rap group that has John Heinrich Clark quotes at the end of their videos yeah. like what what are you telling <laughs> this is what we are about you know like they introduced me to the things like the I Ching you know to to this idea of of just people's liberations inspired me to read about the Mau Mau's you know like yeah I, I just love Deb Stick Stickman and M1 I love I love Deb Press um let's see number three so if I'm, I'm at number three, like, what do I love? What do I vibe to? What do I- I wish y'all could see his face. Is he is smiling You so can be talking right about now. music, man. Ear I to go, ear, ear to ear. <laughs> I go in, but okay. All right. So this is going to be like Black Thought. Black Thought, you, you know- You stole mine. Enough has been said recently, <laughs> but Black Thought has just like, again- 
lines, incredible lines, amazing bars. Yeah. Just like makes you think. Streams Go back, of thought. rewind, streams, streams of, of thought. thought. Sick. Like, okay. Um, let's see. So like, and then I have to go back, like some, some old cool stuff, old school, uh, Big Daddy Kane, you know, I I respect Kane so much. I think the way he raps, it's just, it's, it's a voice that you love, that you, you know, that that just hits with you. Yeah. Big Daddy Kane, (laughs) you know, legends right there. And then if I have to say number five, and again, these could change. He's I feel like shit. number five is always really hard because you're like, how am tough. I closing my list? It's <laughs> tough, but you know, you know what I'm going to say? I'm going to say somebody that a lot of people probably wouldn't say, but one of the people who I love, this goes back to like, people, people would not get this, but one of the best verses in rap ever, CeeLo Green decisions if you haven't listened to that song okay uh, that song decisions but CeeLo Green got some raps he so he goes through and he's like uh what does he say he's like your life defines the misconception of saying down you can't be influenced by everybody you hang around uh you know telling your bullshit start smelling he's like he goes through you reckon you wonder why your record ain't selling and it back up in the and he ends the verse he says ended up back in the projects in building 33 in building 23 right next door to me I'll go back that decisions verse CeeLo Green like I I think CeeLo Green now he's problematic he's got problems he's done some stuff but that dude like people don't even know go back and listen to those goody mob records (laughs) goody mob man go listen to those goody mob records and he's on a unapologetically CeeLo like like that that's one thing that I've always found CeeLo is like the prince of hip-hop he's like prince of hip-hop and you're taking it a little far right now but I but I see where you're going (laughs) (laughs) but but I see it I see it all right but that's that so that's just right now I can can add more you know like always you take it back to good times someone who can spit big pun Okay, folks, pun, so the, the, uh, the Eric Hale rule is in effect. All right, so we got Big Pun. <laughs> big Pun, kids, oh, man, you go back. I don't want to uh, be a pun. Yeah, no hit more. him in the middle, little Italy, didn't do diddly. Like, when he goes wow. off, he's like. Big, big Pun was wild. Big, big yeah, Pun can spit. Wild skill. You know, uh, like people like Keith and you know, Murray. DMX, DMX got his, like, one of his earliest starts by walking up to Big Pun and battling him. Like, yeah, it's like, yes, what? Yes. That's what <laughs> you, you did. Do. That. That's of course, what you do. Of course, of course, Earl did. All right, rest you in come peace, swinging. Earl. But I could go on, you know, because I love music. You know, I, I'm I'm a fan. <laughs> you know, I love the Wu-Tang Clan, the Jizza, the Genius. Yep, yep. The Genius, yep. Liquid Swords. Yep. You know, but you go on for days. Yep. I mean, I love old school Cube. Yep. Cube, you know, um, I mean KRS. Yeah. KRS one. You on like yep. number 10. The teacher. All right. I'm done. I'm done. Yeah. I'll stop there. Well, he he invoked the Eric Hale rule. So um, so <laughs> yeah. Is, he, what, it's like five plus six. Yeah. So <laughs> well, Eric went to well, Eric had a whole bunch of ties for like, yo, I have a three-way tie for third. He was like, this and, is the club uh, mix. This and is this, for like riding and then he's around, like, and then he's like, like with the homies. <laughs> and then he said in his voice, in his voice, Eric, Eric uses voice. He's like, and now, now, if it was a top 15, 
Like, here's what my top 15 will look like. <laughs> That's it. So, That's it. Yeah. All right, Asia, the floor is yours. I don't, I don't have nothing. I don't love rap that much. Okay, what do you, what do you, <laughs> you love? Do you, do what do you love? love? Do a top it's five like or whatever. I'm like a, I'm like one of those folks who goes for like a random mix of things. So like, do it. um, I want to hear your top five random mix. I love, I love Solange. There we oh, go. People yeah. love Beyonce. They love Beyonce, and I love her too. But I love yes. Solange. I love the way, like all her music. Um, like her last album, just what she, I played it over and over again, and just thinking about the things she said, I was like, yeah, that's deep, right? I saw the things yeah. that I imagined, yeah. right? It's like manifestation. I, mm. The things that I imagined mm. came true because I saw the things that I imagined. So yeah. I love her. I love Lizzo. Yes. Lizzo. Lizzo, yes. Lizzo will pull out her roles and all her, her bigness and love all of that. I and love, so I love her. Lizzo Talk is about being so unapologetic, good. unapologetic yeah. and tough. Yeah. yeah. I love Lizzo. I love her music. I love her voice. I love that she can play the flute. I love that she is. Yeah. She is. Yes. I love that she has plus size women in her music videos. Yes. I yeah. love like all the things about her and she embraces it. And, you know, yeah. she's one of those artists who hasn't like, disappeared and came back a hundred pounds smaller right yeah yep, yep, where you're yep. like all your fans who she didn't adele you. she didn't adele. yeah yeah oh, she didn't do yep. that yeah now, shout out so, to adele i'm not trying shout to do this because everybody do whatever you not, need not to, to feel healthy not mad at it, but, but but yeah i, I love but, that about lizzo yeah yep. so i love her anderson pack i think i told y'all that last time yep, yep. so good stuff yeah his story i love his music it's just weird some of this has <laughs> One of his songs is all about like plastic surgery and like breast implants. And I'm like, this is okay. so weird. <laughs> that's, like, that's, that's the experience I have listening to Tyler, the creator. I'm like, all right, all right. bro. <laughs> yeah. okay, bro. Um, and like, I'm late, late, late. I love Drake. Drizzy. I, I'm, I'm feeling real inspired by him right now. My So my husband is, he should be on this show because he's a hip hop fan. Yes. So what I do is I just take all his songs and put them on my Spotify. The you like. Yeah, there you yeah. go. The ones I like, right? Like uh, lemon pepper freestyle, right? Yes, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I love it. I can, what can I say? Yeah. Um, and then let's see, who else do I just love, love, love? Um, I'm gonna go old school and say Mary J. Blige. There we go. Mm-hmm. Mary. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So like Mary, I saw her in concert with Nas when they were here last time. Oh, that was were they? I heard that was somewhere. Good. Um, they weren't at Red Rocks, I don't think. They were so Fiddler's Green. Fiddler's Green, that's her. Fiddler's, yeah. Um, and so it just made me realize how much I love her albums. Like she's again, she's like Solange, right? It's like this yeah. upbeat, like you can do this, women's empowerment. And so just to like be in her uh her concert. Accomplished around, actor, accomplished yeah, actor. Yeah. Yeah, she yeah, she's like going through so much and to see like yeah. women in the audience at her concert, like like singing her songs and like yep. feeling her songs, yeah. right? Yeah. So like, I Mary J. Blige was she's just a generational voice where it's just like yeah. she transcends and it's just profound. Yeah. So yeah. good. So good. Yeah. So good. Yeah. So like her, like my favorite song with her is like Method Man of Her. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's a classic. I need. Yeah. That and he was super young. Obviously, they both were. Yeah. But yeah. So like that's. 
I'm like a mix. Like I can go like my Spotify playlist, my like favorites make no sense. And then there's like a random gospel song in there by there Fred Hammond out of nowhere. There so you I go. Just, right, yeah, <laughs> That's so how it is. Cussing four words in a row. Then it's That's like, right. Thank you, Lord. That's right. <laughs> That's yeah, exactly. I love it when it comes up like well, that. Ke- Kevin will tell you that the one of the things that he finds the most humorous about me is the fact that I love Lincoln Park. Like I'm just all over Linkin Park's music. And see, look, okay. see, see the reaction. So my stuff is always kind of uh, mixed like It was that. just shocking the day. It was like, I like, I like Linkin Park. I, was I like, like Linkin Park. All right. I can't like Linkin Park. I can't like right, Linkin Park. Up. I want to add to my list. Because oh, I, I just thought as, as Asian. Okay. Now, talking, now we have a kept. Now hold we have on. A I'm just going to go story. add a little addendum. This is the addendum. Okay. The addendum. <laughs> Lauren Hill. Lauren yes. Hill. Yes. Rhapsody. Rhapsody. Okay. Yes. You gotta have Queen Latifah in there. You do. You gotta like modern stuff. Like I love Meg. I love the City Girls. I, I'm sorry. I might be. I might be one of those dudes, but I'll be yeah. rocking to the City Girls. I think I like nah, that Miami yeah. bass type of music. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, I, I I I get down on that. Shout out Georgia Proximate is, is and all it's that Georgia, stuff. Georgia Proximate. But uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I had to shout out the women because I I was like, wait, you didn't say no women. Because you left them out the first time Jean, around. <laughs> did, I, did I say Jean Grey? Jean Grey. Jean Grey nah, all didn't. day. Jean Grey. Jean, Jean, Grey, Grey. Who did, Jean Grey who did a whole album in one hour. Jean Grey wow. rapped, uh, rapped, just rapped harder than, mo- uh, than all sick. the dudes I named. See, and for me, I would, I would also put MC Light in there because her breath control, mm. um, just amazing, uh, amazing stuff. Well, okay. I just so, had to add that. I added, right. I added a little more. Kevin, okay, are you done? I mean, <laughs> Lil Nas X. I like, he he also boss. Yeah, nah, he's he's good. He's good. All right. I can't shut him down. Shut him down. So I think I think that means it's time to end this. So we will we will say stay dope together. Um, because it is after all two dope teachers and a microphone over here. Um, but thanks for being on here and, and sharing like your perspectives on the exit interview. The exit interview drops monthly. Maybe we still need to start doing those a little bit sooner um, for folks because there are some great stories. But uh, catch up with the exit interview. We're seven episodes in um, and uh, with two conversations with Dr. William Smith and some really amazing stuff that's kind of come through there. And uh, it's just on the regular podcast feed, so just find the podcast feed. Um, I'm Gerardo Munoz. I'm here with Kevin Adams and Asia Lyons. And I want to wish you on this really hot 100-degree day to stay cool, stay hydrated, stay healthy, stay balanced. But above and beyond everything else, make sure that you always stay stay dope. dope.